it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Big hour coming your way. So much going on. The dorm report just convening. We're going in and out of that. We'll bring you the highlights, and there's a lot to go over. Big report took years to compile. We'll see what John Durham's going to say and how Democrats will get around the fact that they trumped up an investigation uh, into Donald Trump, which severely hurt the country. Forget about the president uh, for a second. Christy Noem's going to be with us, the great governor of South Dakota in moments. Gordon Chang inside this base being built in Cuba. And Rich Lowry inside the, uh, the GOP side of 2024, because it looks like the president, former president, has lost about 10 points on his lead, I think, due to the indictment. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. It was interesting to to hear from uh, Mr. Durham that he has concerns that there are reforms that need to go into place and that there are still issues that that need to be addressed. He was very forthcoming and sharing with us, and I think that we were able to get some information that would be very helpful for us. Yep, uh, that is Mike Turner, the Durham Report, testifying right now. A damning report about Russia investigation that never should have happened, the damage to our nation and administration, and more. Number two. Do you see him as the biggest threat? Well, he's the number two right now, yeah. You know, at some place he could be replaced. The way he's going right now, he's dropping like a rock. He could be number three, number four, and you won't ever hear me talking about him again. (laughs) I like fighting number two. Uh, 2024 indictments cost uh, Trump about 10 points. The latest poll in the race for the nomination, as we hear from the former president on the debates, new hate for DeSantis and the rest of the field with Biden's emerging RFK problem on the left. Number one. They've made him a very good deal and and he uh, he sucked it up like a Hoover Deluxe. <laughs> Senator John Kennedy, Hunter deal done domestically, but it's for the foreign policy dealing which matters most to me. Where is the investigation? Uh, putting the light on Hunter's emerging plea bargain right now. Uh, the gun charges, the tax evasion, that's one. But what I would like to see is investigation into the Kazakhstan deal, the China deal, which included a deal uh, for lithium in the Congo, which is anti-American. That's part of the Belt and Road program. With me right now is Christy Nome, South Dakota governor, one of the most successful in the country, uh, best-selling author, not my first rodeo, Lessons from the Heartland. And she's got an opportunity for everyone listening in a matter of moments. Governor, welcome. Oh, thank you, Brian. Thanks for inviting me to be with you today. Governor, I don't know what it's like to run a state, and I don't, your things to do list must be long. But will you be watching this Durham report that took years to make? And you know how obsessed this country was with the Russia collusion lark? Oh, absolutely. We'll be watching it because it's been the biggest scandal that has degraded um, the systems that we have trusted for so many years um, in monumental ways. Um, It's just been remarkable to to watch it and to see what those we've trusted to keep law and order and to be objective in these situations, what they actually will do um, to destroy the foundation of this country. So, yeah, I'll be paying attention. it's a little tough because you got a lot of other things going on and agencies to run and, and a state to protect and keep growing. So 
but um, but absolutely, this is a really big deal. I hope people are really paying attention because who you vote for matters. Who you put in leadership um, is going to have enormous consequences because it can't just be a Republican and it can't just be a conservative. It's got to be someone who cares enough to gut these machines that have been used against people that are just trying to protect America. You know what's kind of amazing is that you, the whole Russia collusion was launched by a dossier, which was mm-hmm. commissioned by Hillary Clinton. She paid a small fine mm-hmm. for that. It, it got the country off track for two and a half years, certainly in administration. Mm-hmm. And then was no one ever looked at the president as legitimate until he lost. Like, oh, yeah, he won in 2016. Really? Okay. Right. That how damage okay. it does. No one ever paid for these international business deals that Hunter was doing uh, from what happened to Ukraine, Kazakhstan, and all those others. And then you have a, a situation where someone just got charged. Hunter Biden just got charged with this. And it was on a gun charge and a on a IRS charge that he didn't pay taxes for a couple of years. So mm-hmm. everything seems to skate. Hillary Clinton having a good time watching Donald Trump go through his legal challenges. And uh, Hunter Biden's going to get no jail time. People are frustrated. Yeah, the, oh, yeah. The hypocrisy of it all is is astound, astonishing. That's what I think has been uh, the bedrock of America is that here, if you come to this country, you have equal opportunity to succeed. You also have equal treatment under the law and equal opportunity to fail. And and that has gone by the wayside. Now it's who you know, uh, who you know that's in positions of power and how those positions of powers are, are used to help you continue to be successful and grab even more authority. So, you know, this is a fundamental remaking of our country before our eyes. And I hope the American people have an attention span long enough to pay attention and get the right people in to fix it. Governor, seeing the scrutiny and seeing, for example, Ron DeSantis's wife get uh, ripped for about eight pages as she's domineering their insular, nobody like all this stuff being written in the investigations, the myriad of investigations. Is that part of the reason you didn't run for president this time? Oh, I don't, I don't know. You know, I haven't made any announcements, but I, you know, I think that I'm used to being lit on fire. I mean, that happened during COVID for three years. You know, I had everybody in the country telling me I was wrong for the decisions I was making. So, but yeah, I think that that's a new reality that everybody's waking up to is that they won't just come after you for your political views and your decisions. They will destroy your family. They will do everything that they can to completely destroy the people that you love too. And I think that that is another element that every single candidate has to evaluate is, is, you know, do they want to put their family through that? And is their family willing to be partners in that kind of an endeavor? Um, Have you decided who you're endorsing on the Republican side? No, I haven't. You know, I I don't even know if the right candidate's running right now. I mean, to be honest with you, I haven't been a supporter of President Trump's policies all along, um, you know, and he is, you know, facing a few headwinds as far as legally, but he's by far the strongest candidate in the race. And, you know, the rest of the candidates are talking a lot. Um, When I look at their records, what they've actually done, I'm not all that impressed. (laughs) So, you know, the, the, the best thing that President Trump ever did for me was he let me do my job. Is he followed the Constitution and let me do my job since I've been governor. And I'm incredibly grateful for that because Joe Biden would have never let me make the decisions I was making here in South Dakota. And all we did here was what conservatives believe. We just followed what my role was as governor and followed the Constitution, and South Dakota is overwhelmingly benefiting from that. So I'm grateful for President Trump for doing that. And, um, you know, his policies 
are the ones and the actions that he took would be mm-hmm. the ones that would bring us back into prosperity. So you have not ruled out running. Is that correct? You know, I, I don't I don't think that we've ruled it out. I think that right now I don't see a path to victory with President Trump in the race. And and uh, I think, you know, these guys may be running for different reasons. Maybe their goal isn't even to run. It's just to do something else, go get a book deal, maybe go have a chance of being in the cabinet or whatever. I I can be much more effective right now, today, um, giving opinions on who these candidates are and making sure they're telling the truth and, you know, talking about what President Trump allowed this country to pursue. And uh, you, know, you can jump in there and be one of the scrappers. Um, unless you got a plan to win, what are you doing? And I don't think these other candidates have a real plan to win. They just want to be relevant. Uh, Governor, I thought it was really cool. You were on with me on television about a half hour ago. And you said, you said, listen, your unemployment's so low, you need workers. You need thousands of workers mm-hmm. at South Dakota. I went to South Dakota for the first time to do a special on, uh, on Mount Rushmore. It was unbelievable, J- just the drive there and, and seeing what I saw, what a great state you have. And now it is zero tax. And what is the need right now for people listening, and we've heard around the country, what is the need right now for the people in South Dakota? What, what, uh, how many jobs are open? Well, we have 25,000 jobs open today that we can plug people into immediately. And what's interesting, Brian, is that we've done something here in South Dakota that no other state has done. We did modeling and data survey on the entire country and identified 8 million people in this country right now that will move for a new career. They are willing to pick up their families and move somewhere. After talking to those individuals and doing much more research, we've identified 2 million of them that are very interested in coming to South Dakota. So now what we're launching this week is a national marketing campaign to those 2 million people and to other people that are on the fence and saying, come to South Dakota if you want to be a plumber. We will get you trained on the job. You can be um, working every day, earning a wage for your family, and we're not just going to get you that license. While you're there, we're going to find you a home and find your kids a school that they love and a community to be a part of. And we're going to connect all those dots for you. If you want to be a welder, if you want to be a dentist, if you want to be a dental hygienist, uh, these ads will be talking to you about how it's different here in South Dakota. We'll answer all of your questions because my unemployment right now is the lowest unemployment rate of any state in the history of our nation. (laughs) Everybody gets up every day and they go to work. Um, and we've got businesses that have moved here, that have expanded, that are thriving, and they want more workers to be a part of it. And I don't want to let my foot off the gas. We're growing. We're doing incredible things here, have historic revenues. We have to keep on top of this in order to keep our state stable, considering the headwinds that are gotcha. coming out of the Biden administration. Governor Christy Noem, uh, it, it, uh, the campaign is called Freedom Works Here. Uh, and to find out more, where do you go, Governor? freedomworkshere.com. Go on there and you will be able to tie in to our folks that are going to help you with white glove service, get connected to the type of career you want to have and answer all your questions in regards to your family and housing too. Go get them. Uh, Governor, always great to talk to you. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. You have a great day, Brian. You got it. Listen, one of the biggest stories we haven't discussed yet is what's going on with China, building bases in Cuba. This is a bridge way too far. Governor, excuse me, Gordon Chang, author of The Great U.S.-China Tech War, in just a moment. Then after that, Inside 2024, Rich Lowry, and we're monitoring opening statements on the Durham Report. What a morning. So glad you're here. Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. 
from the Fox News Podcasts Network. Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. One of the important things for me to do on this trip was to disabuse our Chinese hosts of the notion that we are seeking to economically contain them. We're not. Uh, And as I've said, we are not about decoupling. We're about de-risking and diversifying. Uh, That is the weakness of Secretary of State Blinken. It's sickening. Gordon Chang, author of the great U.S.-China tech war, and you could follow him at Gordon Chang. That's Gordon G. uh, Chang uh, on Twitter. Uh, Gordon, welcome back. Your your assessment of the Secretary of State's trip to Beijing, 10 hours in length. It did result in a a 45-minute meeting with President Xi. Your thoughts? This was a debacle. The Chinese leadership over the last year or so has tried to portray the United States as no longer a force in global affairs. This is what Xi Jinping said when he was bidding farewell to Vladimir Putin in Moscow in March. He said, look, change is coming that hasn't happened in 100 years, and you and I, he was referring to Putin, are driving this change, which means the U.S. is nowhere on the scene. Well, that was the message as they insulted Blinken, even before this trip was formally announced. And that 35-minute sit-down with Xi Jinping, that showed that the world and to the region, of course, that the United States was subservient because Blinken was sitting well back in the room and Xi Jinping was at the front at the table. This really was very bad optics. Blinken should never have accepted this. This did not help the United States at all. And now we find out, according to the Wall Street Journal, not only one spy station, but four separate bases, possibly a military base being built in China. How soon till military there's a military Chinese presence there? And are we going to allow Cuba to become a base for China? Well, China has had installations in Cuba for either all or most of this century. The Wall Street Journal reported a week ago that China was establishing a listening post. Well, no, it's had at least three posts in Cuba, one at Lourdes, which is the old Soviet station, which was the biggest Soviet listening post outside the Soviet Union during the Cold War, and also two others at Call and Santiago de Cuba. And, you know, our government has said nothing about it. And Biden actually tried to uh, deceive the American people by saying, no, 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 no. The Chinese are not establishing a listening post. Now there are rumors, Brian, that China is going to base Russia's S-300 and S-400 anti-missile systems in Cuba. The S-400 has arranged that it could shoot down a plane over the United States. So let's understand what's at stake here. So we have a situation now that's going to be a follow-up. They want to get to the APAC summit, I think it's called, out in San Francisco. Why is that important to them? 
It's important because they want to have a grand arrival for Xi Jinping. They want us to show respect as Xi goes to that multilateral meeting. I actually think, Brian, that we know that China's committing genocide and crimes against humanity. Both the Pompeo and Blinken State Departments formally made that designation. We have an obligation under the 1948 Genocide Convention to prevent and punish acts of genocide. I think that the United States um, should not welcome Xi Jinping to our soil. If anything, if he comes here, we should, that's, we should honor our obligations and arrest him, send him to The Hague, send him to Guantanamo. I know that sounds extreme to most people, but uh, we have allowed the Chinese to commit the worst crimes since the Third Reich. We even even we even even uh, sanctioned the individual officials who were in charge of the Uyghurs genocide. That the very least well, we could be, do. Yeah, that would be Xi Jinping because the uh, campaign of genocide and crimes against humanity, um, and the infrastructure for that is enormous in uh, China. That could not have occurred without the approval of China's leader. So they run a totalitarian, top-down system which means that um, Xi Jinping is responsible for just about everything that happens in China because he either knows about it or if he doesn't, it's because he doesn't want to know about it. And he's authorized this, uh, the detention camps, the, the forced rapes, the sterilization. Um, the well, you know, it's amazing, Gordon Chang. It's amazing that Saudi Arabia wants to have relations with a country that's torturing Muslims. Yes, and we had the Palestinian president, Mahmoud Abbas, in Beijing a few days ago saying that there were no crimes against humanity in Xinjiang and that everything there was just against extremism. So here we have somebody who says Palestinian lives matter, where he's saying that Muslim lives don't matter if they're in China. Uh, Gordon Chang, our guest. Gordon, what do they want? They want to be able to dominate the South China Sea, supplant us as economic and military leaders, what would get their attention and they'll understand we're serious? Well, first of all, what they want is they've told us that they believe that they are the world's only legitimate rulers and that the moon and Mars should be considered sovereign Chinese territory. We know, you know, that sounds ludicrous to our ears, but we have to listen to what the Chinese leaders are actually saying. And what would get their intention, um, attention? I think that if we stop trade, if we stopped investment into China, if we stopped technical cooperation, those are the things that would get China's attention. And by the way, their economy is in distress, so they really need the United States right now. And I think what they've been trying to do is intimidate us into not imposing those measures that are absolutely necessary. You know, there's been these long, uh, long-awaited executive orders from President Biden on stopping tech investment into China. They haven't been issued yet, and I think that's because China has intimidated the Biden administration. Uh, Gordon, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Uh, pick up his book, Great U.S.-China Tech War. Uh, Gordon Chang, you can follow him at Gordon G. Chang. Thanks, Gordon. Uh, when we come back, Rich Lowry, Inside 2024, and the president's two days of interviews with Brett Baer. Don't move. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I do say, why would I allow a hostile network, Fox? You know, pretty hostile. Why would I allow 
You get a fair shake. Okay, but I mean, this is a fair interview, but it's hostile. It's on the hostile side. I wouldn't say it's a puff piece, but that's okay. Hey, Brett, why would I allow a hostile network and then allow people that are polling at zero? They're polling at zero, many of these guys. One of them is zero with an arrow left. Now, I think that's a mistake. In other words, a zero, that's less than zero. Christie's like at 1 percent or less. Uh, many of them, Nikki Haley's at 2 percent. So why would I allow people at 1 and 2 percent and 0 percent to be hitting me with questions all night? You know, I don't think it's fair. So that was uh, President Trump. He sat down for over an hour with Brett Baird. It aired over two days. They covered everything from the documents case to his energy policy. Rich Lowry writes, it's a home run. Uh, not easy, as the president said. But, you know, I just give him so much credit because we have a president that won't sit down with anybody about anything ever, and he's getting a total pass. We have a former president in legal jeopardy still sitting down with everybody, going on CNN for an hour, sitting down with Sean Hannity, then sitting down with uh, Brett Baer. I imagine there's going to be many others. And he's up by 20-plus points. He didn't have to. So regardless of what you think of his answers— that's correct, what I just said. And he's got to be saluted for that. And he, that's where he conducts his presidency, too. Almost always available. Rich Larry, editor of the National Review, joins us now. Rich, as, as up and down as this was over, over those two days, you think it was a good move to do it, correct? Well, yeah. I, I think for, for the reasons you outlined, it shows no fear, right? He doesn't play by anyone else's rules. And anyone else in this kind of legal jeopardy, the lawyers would say, don't talk, which I'm sure they're, they're actually telling him repeatedly. All, all the different lawyers are cycling in and out, don't talk. But he, he only plays by his own rules. And he didn't steamroll Brett, you know, the way he did Caitlin Collins. I mean, Brett's, Brett's a real pro, but he's still unflappable, unshakable, fills the screen. Um, has command presence, and, and those are just just huge qualities. You know, uh, there are obviously downsides as well. We've talked about those in in the past, but th- this is a huge reason why he's leading. And one thing I I thought, you know, listening to his interviews, is DeSantis going to do this ever? Is is he going to go sit with Brett and take every single question and? show the same sort of poise. You know, I, I don't know why he's not doing it. You know, um, he, he's, he's fine and press gaggles. He's a smart guy. Why won't he do this kind of thing? And I, and I think that's one of the things, you know, their number that uh, uh, making it hard for him to launch. Right. Uh, he's a, a solid second. Uh, but uh, and it looks like Trump has dropped about 10 points among conservative among Republicans. Right now, uh, the latest poll, the the CNN poll, I think it is. 538. Yep. It's it's uh, Trump at 47, DeSantis at 26, Pence at nine, Nikki yep. Haley at five, Tim Scott at four, Chris Christie at three, Vivek Ramaswamy has dropped to one. Uh, he's been quite impressive. I think you agree with that. Uh, but for Trump, the legal things, the the legal problems are the big are the big headwinds, and the documents yeah. case is going to be front and center as early as August 15th. I don't, we're not you know we're not lawyers here, but that's a lot sooner than I thought. What about yeah. you? Well, that, that's that's my understanding. That's one of the reasons the special counsel Jack Smith wanted to go down there, Florida. They they, they move quickly, uh, but 
but um, people know much more about this than I do. You know, our friends Jonathan Turley, Andy McCarthy say, no way. You know, and, and Andy, who's dealt with cases involving, as a former prosecutor, dealt with cases involving classified material. There, there's one case he was telling me about. It took a year and a half to, to get an agreement on like a five-sentence statement that would characterize the, the classified stuff. So if Trump's defense goes down that route of kind of doing this so-called gray mail, you know, we need to talk about this classified stuff, and you won't let us talk about it. We need to litigate that. This There's no way this is, thing is ever getting tried before the election, and I think that's that's correct. Um, so we'll see. Maybe the CNN poll is a blip or an outlier, but it's the first one that showed, oh, actually, maybe one of these indictments has hurt him a little bit. Now, if that's true, you know, may, maybe we'll be looking at a different dynamic three months from now, but there's not – most of the evidence points the other way. Yeah, interesting. Um, I want you to hear from Tim Scott because you also write about Barack Obama calling out Tim Scott, and it came out of nowhere – and by the way, it was pointed out to me that Trey Gowdy said that he made no effort to get to know Tim Scott when he was president. He has no idea what he's about, what he thinks. And for him to come out and say that the Republicans better have an idea when it comes to race if they want to come out. and he missed. Yeah. And, and if they have the right to run for president. Really? He didn't. Uh, he was forced to talk about race after Reverend Wright became too much of too, uh, too big to ignore. But I want you to hear Tim Scott a talk about race last night with Sean. Cut 30. 1921, my grandfather was born here in South Carolina, Sally, South Carolina. And it was a very different South Carolina. It was a place where a black guy walking down the street would have to get off the sidewalk and let someone walk by who was white. It was such a different and challenging time. My grandfather, when my parents divorced, we moved into his house when I was seven years old. My grandfather looked at me and said, the weight of his words were so heavy because of all that he had experienced in his life. He said, you can be bitter or you can get better, but you can't be both. When I hear people telling me that America is a racist nation, I got to say, not my America, not our America, not the United States of America. Not only is he the only black guy in the race so far, he has got a different message. Than everybody else. He's always yep. talking in grandiose terms and generalities, not saying he can't go specific, but that's a totally different approach to this, mm-hmm. especially as somebody who was just called out by The View and called out by Barack Obama. Yeah. So it's a, it's a inspiring message. It's a deep felt message. You know, it just kind of just moves you hearing that clip. And it's totally ridiculous for Barack Obama had a totally different experience, right? His, his mother, a, a white woman from Kansas, his, his father, uh, a Kenyan uh, economist. He goes to the prestigious prep school in Hawaii to lecture this guy whose family experienced slavery and the worst of discrimination in, in our our history about race in America. It's just, it's, it's really almost too much to take. Um, so I'd be kind of shocked if Tim Scott doesn't have a moment here. You know, I don't know whether he's going to sweep to victory anywhere, but becomes the focus of attention, bumps up in the polls, um, you know, has, has a great uh, debate, so, something like that. I, I think that's probably in, in his future here somewhere. Well, we watch Byron Donalds. He's an up-and-coming star. He probably could be the next governor of Florida. Who knows? And he, there's nothing he can't handle. He goes on all networks, takes on all debates. He doesn't care. He's smart. Uh, he is powerful. He demands respect. And you say that that is a nightmare for Democrats. Why do they have a hard pro- why do they get so hostile to re- uh, to African American Republicans? 
Well, because one, they just have the sense of entitlement about minorities. All minorities have to agree with them. And if they don't, they're, they're somehow a traitor to their race. Now, Obama didn't say anything like that. He wasn't that inflammatory or insulting. But there have been a lot of other left-wingers who have said that about Thomas Sowell and uh, Clarence Thomas and Tim Scott over the years. And then, you know, Scott can just speak powerfully to the falsity of one of the main narratives that the, the left is, is selling, which is that um, not just that we had a, a racist past, which everyone agrees with, and it was horrible, but that it, the country currently is still caught in a version of that past. And systemic racism keeps keeps uh, minorities uh, down in, in all sorts of ways. And y- yes, they're still racist. Yes, there's still problems. But that that's a, a mm-hmm. falsehood, as Tim, Tim Scott so compellingly um, said. And he has the credibility to to point out what a lie it is. So, you know, you point out a guest who we've had on before, Wilford Riley, Kentucky State, Mm -hmm. uh, noted in Commentary Magazine that when people say African-Americans, it's much harder for them in America. Well, not all. Uh, If you're from Ghana, you earn more than whites, while Nigerians are the best educated group in the country and earn more or the same as whites. West Indian English speakers and second-generation Ghanaian-Americans look and sound almost exactly like Americans. Bigots are unlikely to put their prejudice aside when they meet one, yet by by and large, they thrive here. So for all bunch of bigots, what are they doing? Yeah, uh, like, like racists are distinguishing between okay, here's here's someone whose heritage is in this country, and, and here's someone um, who, who's uh, a person of color from Nigeria. So I'm not going discri- to discriminate against a person from Nigeria. That makes zero sense. Now it's certainly true. African Americans um, have you know their families have been weighted down by this kind of discrimination that Tim Scott um, sp- speaks about, and that's different than someone from Ni- Nigeria. But just in terms of if you're someone who stays in school and and works hard. Are, are you? Is the man going to have his his foot on your neck? No, that's that's a falsehood. Right, uh, and I think it's important because that's what happened on Juneteenth. People were talking nonstop speeches about how America is endemically racist and it's harder. You know, I'm doing this book on Teddy and Booker T. And Booker T. Washington and Jim Crow South insisted on living in the South, building a college in the South, building institutions in the South, uh, teaching African-Americans that we've got to be our own tradesmen, our own scholars, and then little by little we're going to win over the entire American population. Yeah. And that, uh, and if I could just paraphrase one of the quotes that he had, he said, I believe in the long run black, uh, black Americans have to work harder uh, than white Americans to have the, any type of success, but that makes us better people in the end because we've worked harder to achieve it. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, I hate the way America was divided in the South in the 1930s and 40s and the turn of the century, the great compromise in the 1870s. But there were ways forward. America's constantly getting better. And for you not to say in 2023, man, yeah. how are we close to getting rid of affirmative action effectively and not need it? But instead, you want to go back and say, what about slavery? Yeah. Here's reparations. It's It's insane. Yeah. So one, this is one of the gr- great uh, narrative threads in American history, how African-Americans were, were the great freedom fighters uh, for so long. And this message of uplift and th- this kind of attitude um, among, you know, F- Frederick Douglass to Thomas Sowell in his personal life and what he's written very much this, just to screw you. You know, you, you, you're going to insult me. You're going to try to hold me down. 
I don't care, you know, as, as Scott puts it, you know, in his grandfather's words, I'm going to be better, not, not bitter. And that's a really uh, important message. And sort of ironically, you have the left now aping the, 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 you know, Southern secessionist and racist view of America that, you know, the declaration was just for white people and the whole thing was a lie and blacks never can make it. Um, So obviously the, the premises are, are different, but, but some of the, the, uh, the outcomes and how they look at the world are, are the same. But Rich, if I was an outside hater of America, that's exactly what I'd spend all my marketing money doing. Mm-hmm. I would find a way to, to make everybody think that America's never going to get better. It's always racist. It's built by whites only for what? That's what I would do. It's almost as if this is not a, a different school of thought. It's an anti-American yeah. Belief. Yeah. Well, we saw this during the Cold War. The, the Soviets hit us for our, our racism. And, you know, unfortunately, that well, that was a true hit. And one of the reasons, uh, among the many reasons that uh, the civil rights movement gained such momentum is, is a lot of people are like, no, we, we, we can't have that criticism land against us. We need to be better. But now we are better. And you still have people making that criticism and making that uh, telling that lie about our country. And you're absolutely right. It's the kind of uh, a propaganda lie that you your adversaries would would tell about you, but we have a lot of people making that case internally. Um, the president sat down, he spoke, and he's got his own uh, uh, issues he's got to handle. Got it, whether he's targeted or not. I'm fascinated by the John Dorham report, and we're finally hearing from the special counsel, both sides digging in. It's pretty astounding that the Horowitz report, the Dorham report, and to agree, the Mueller report all show that an investigation that occupied our country and destroyed U.S. Russia relations for generations, maybe ever. Never should have happened. Mm -hmm. And it seems as like everyone's just glossing over that fact because Donald Trump's involved and looking to move on. Is there a danger to just moving on? And and, and things like the dorm report not getting any traction? Horowitz lasting one day on the news cycle? Yeah, no, of course. And the, the, the other side w- wants to move on, even though they're desperately wrong about this. So there are two things you can do. One, just as a matter of transparency and accountability, tell the story of what happened and why. And that that's really important. And that's going on. Unfortunately, not everyone's going to pay attention. And then two, let's not just complain about this. Let's not just complain about the, the so-called deep state and the administrative state. Let's have a plan to deal with it. And I, I think that's kind of the next step that you've seen mm-hmm. a lot of the candidates, you know, from Trump on down, DeSantis has a very uh, well thought out uh, approach um, taking. And that's the, those are good things. But, you know, obviously it's not going to happen without electing a Republican. Fascinating time, Rich. So much going on. I could have went 20 different directions with you. I appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks, Go get him. Rich Lowry, uh, National Review. We come back. Your first time to talk. And I'm going to be would take some cuts from the opening statements on the Durham report. Now it's time for the Democrats to speak out. We'll take a timeout. Brian Kilmeade Show. Giving you everything you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. I also get a little bit anxious around the excessive imagery of the flag, in part because, in my experience, patriotism quickly slips into nationalism, especially the simplistic version of patriotism, the flag-waving, my country, love it or leave it kind of attitude, that is just a hop, skip, and a jump away from becoming nationalism. As much as I would like to see the flag displayed in a proud manner, it all too quickly takes on the stakes 
that as a non-white person can mean a lot, right? It can mean a sense of inclusion or exclusion, a sense of belonging, or the ascription of perpetual foreigner, perpetual outsider status. What a clown. Uh, this Marquette professor says the American flag is a source of fear and anxiety. His name is Dr. Grant Silva, and he, she said that on the radio station. Uh, he gets anxious. He's Mexican. He's Mexican. Uh, maybe you should go back to Mexico uh, if it gets you anxious. We have flags in this country. People are proud of them. And if it triggers you, you're in the wrong country. He says, uh, I get nervous. People of color often have to assimilate and give up some part of their racial, ethnic heritage to be seen a true American. You should want to. If you want to be Irish, stay in Ireland. If you don't want to be uh, American Irish, then don't go to America. How scary is it this guy's got a job at a university and he feels free to speak out like that and that he thinks like that? Is that crazy? It makes me wonder if there's more to know. More to know. Invest in premium American whiskey as it ages. The older it gets, the better it gets. And the more valuable it gets. Go to caskdeeds.com. That's caskdeeds.com to learn more. Paid for by Spirits Capital Corporation. All right, Lionel Messi is expected to make the Major League Soccer debut with uh, Miami Inter on July 21st. Uh, Inter Miami, I should say, during a home game against Cruz Azul in the League's Cup. Uh, the game will be played on DRV PNK Stadium in Fort Lauderdale, Inter Miami's home arena. The team will increase capacity by 3,000 to 3,200 before Messi's debut, or 3,200, I should increasing the total capacity to 22,000. My sense is they could sell out uh, 100,000. Messi's deal is two and a half years with an option for 2026. Uh, the contract will give Messi an ownership stake in the club and will pay him between 50 and $60 million. Everybody's talking about this. Do you care about this, house? I know you're not a pro soccer person. Do you care about it? No, I think it's really exciting. It's getting soccer up there. I mean, it's definitely good for the bottom line. You see the tickets are now like over two grand on some of the secondary sites. Oh, yeah, it's unbelievable. And I can't wait for him to play here. I, I already said... I'm going to start talks with MetLife to move it over to Giant Jet Stadium. It's right next to Red Bull Arena, about 15 miles. What, how far is Harrison from? Oh, probably like 5 to 10. It's okay, close. East Rutherford. But the thing is how, I mean, that's not just easy. The MetLife's not just open all the time, right? Don't people book out probably oh, yeah, years true. in advance? Let's find out. Hey, could you find out, number one, uh, what the cap is, Pete, on your credit card? Because you might have to put a hold on it. And number two, uh, if anybody's playing there, could you call Bruce Springsteen, see if he's playing there? But well, you know what? Check the schedule rather than call the big names. What about if Billy Joel's playing there? Should we, should we bomb Right, him? I'll call him. I'll handle him. He's all on that one. You call Bruce Springsteen. And uh, we should also find out about car shows. Could you call around to local dealerships? Monster Let's, truck shows. That's monster it. truck shows, yes. Could you see if there's dirt moving around? Because they have to fill up the whole stadium with dirt. That would be a problem. Even for Messi, he'd have trouble scoring. Uh, Brian Kilmeade Show. Fox News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. We come to you from Midtown Manhattan, heard around the country, around the world. Uh, Senator Marsha Blackburn will come to us from uh, Washington. Uh, she, of course, represented a senator from Tennessee. Bottom of the hour, Yuri Levine will be with us, co-founder of Waze, the world's largest driving traffic and navigation app in 2007 and author of the brand new book, Fall in Love with the Problem, Not the Solution. Interesting. Uh, what a success story he is. We'll talk about that. And also we're following all the, uh, the goings on with the Durham report as both sides getting a chance to question John Durham, who's been working for years uh, behind the scenes to find out what really went down with the Russia investigation and why it was even launched to begin with. 
Uh, fascinating take. We're also following the latest on China, building bases in Cuba, and the ridiculous Secretary of State meeting over in that country where they didn't want to meet, kind of forced its way in, and we're all looking weaker because of it. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. It was interesting to, to hear from uh, Mr. Durham that he has concerns that there are reforms that need to go into place and that there are still issues that they need to be addressed. He was very forthcoming and sharing with us, and I think that we were able to get some information that would be very helpful for us. You think so? Uh, that is Mike Turner behind closed doors yesterday, now in front and center with the cameras today. Durham. John Durham to testify throughout the morning. He's doing it right now about the damning report about the Russia investigation that the FBI never should have launched. And then once they started, should have backed off. They didn't. Damaging our country uh, and a presidency who eventually would lose the next election. Number two. Do you see him as the biggest threat? Well, he's the number two right now. Yeah. I mean, you know, at some place he could be replaced. The way he's going right now, he's dropping like a rock. He could be number three, number four, and you won't ever hear me talking about him again. Uh, I'm fighting number two. Yeah, Donald Trump talking about Ron DeSantis. Indictments cost Trump 10 points in the latest poll in the race for the nomination. We hear from the former president on the debates. New hate for Ron and the rest of the field, along with Biden's emerging RFK problem on the left. Number one. They've made him a very good deal, and and he uh, he sucked it up like a Hoover Deluxe. Senator John Kennedy uh, letting it, letting us all know how we feel. Hunter's deal done. Jo- domestically, uh, it is done, but the foreign family dealings, which matter most, no sign of that being done, although no sign of an investigation taking place. And that is indeed the problem. I'm going to talk to Marsha Blackburn about that, too. But essentially, in case you have not heard, Hunter Biden got a deal. He doesn't pay his taxes. He got a gun by lying on the form when they, they asked this question. Uh, are you unlawful user or addicted to marijuana or any other um, any other depressant or or narcotic or controlled subject or, or controlled substance? He said no. And the answer was yes. When he was not brought up on his racketeering, money laundering, wire fraud, a violation of the foreign agent or or Farah, he was out there representing his country without registering as an American when you're dealing with Kazakhstan, Romania, Ukraine, China, the Congo. That's what Hunter Biden was doing while drug addled with multiple prostitutes because of the laptop. From the laptop to the Russia investigation, all false. And now we see... That Hunter's got a deal. Hunter Biden will plead guilty to a federal tax offense, but avoid a full prosecution of the separate gun charge in a deal with the DOJ that spares him time behind bars. Everybody thinks this is done, and he was dealt with fairly. Excuse me, Democrats do. I'm not even sure they do. Most people would not have gotten away with this. People bring up the fact that some famous people, cases, Wesley Snipes, Three misdemeanors for failing to file tax returns. The guy spent three years in prison at the height of his career. A rapper named Kodak Black, his lawyer speaking out, uh, his incorrect, he put his incorrect social security number to go buy a gun purchase because he had a criminal background. So he bought three guns, and he spent 46 months in prison. 46 months. Do you believe that? So, yeah, he had a drug charge prior, but he was an active drug user, too. But his, pre- his dad was not president. That is the key. Now, are they going to investigate further? 
Jim Jordan says this. I think we have to wait. If there's a plea entered here and it's done and the investigation is over, then certainly we're going to want to talk to him or is referring to other investigation. They're talking about uh, Weiss appointed by Donald Trump who took five years to investigate a inve- investigate somebody. It should have taken about five minutes. Okay, five months tops, not years. So Joe Biden, son, historically will plead guilty to these to this deal. Uh, and again, he continues to say things. And people are going to give him a pass on this because his son is his son. And they have tragedy in their life. I get it. But I'm not worried about the drug and weapons charge. Of course he got off. But I'm talking about the international business deals. When he's with CEFC, which is an arm of the Chinese government, when he's with these officials trying to set up deals and worked out a deal to strip mine the, uh, lithium from the Congo. Have you seen some of this footage of what they're doing in the Congo? Digging in sides of mountains, kids as early as young as six years old, some with spoons. And he sold that Belt and Road program to help us not get the rare earth needed to make batteries. Do you believe it or not? That's part of of through a true investigation into Hunter Biden. But listen to his attorney. Cut four. The prosecutors are not asking for jail time. Are you concerned that the judge here might freelance? Um, I think you know. Look, there there are documents that haven't been publicly released yet. I think people have reported what the product prosecutors are asking for. I think you have to wait till the court proceeding happens to know. But. You know, I think the judge is going to do what's fair. And I think what's fair is, you know, my client gets on with his life. Right. We all like to see him get on with his life from dating is the widow of his brother to dating the widow of his brother's sister. Simultaneously having a relationship with a stripper who ends up giving birth to a kid, which you denied. And now you're still trying to get out of paying child support or significant child support. More from Clark on the question I really want answered. Guy does drugs, kicked out of the military, one embarrassment after another. We all have people in our family addicted to drugs, just not trading on the family name and using, uh, disparaging our country in the meantime, getting his family rich. So here's the big question. Cut five. NBC reports at times this was a counterintelligence investigation, that this was an investigation to FARA violations, which is how you register to work with a foreign government if you're an American citizen. Um, uh, money launder- laundering, again, five years, and what they came up with is two misdemeanor tax counts. That's the resolution we have, is that Mr. Biden's going to take responsibility for failing to timely pay his taxes for those two years. And there's going to be a diversion with regard to this 10-day period that he possessed a gun. And that is that is how the case is going to be resolved. So, biggest question, number one. As you get resolved, you know, let's hope he's drug-free and can put it behind him. Let's hope everybody gets that type of uh, ch- uh, second and third and fourth chance. We don't even know what he does for a living now. I guess he's an artist. I don't know how that pays. So, the question is, how do all those foreign violations... Just disappear. And how does an attorney not know if the laptop, the laptop played a role in the investigation? Something the FBI has had since 2019. Listen to this exchange with his attorney, Chris Clark, cut six. Do you have any idea if um, Hunter Biden's laptop had anything to do with this investigation? Was it used? I don't. No, I don't. I mean, Were you I, ever asked about it? Um, I can't recall being asked about it, to be honest with you. Um, but... There's nothing about 
the the situation that's being that's been filed that has a thing to do with the laptop. Why not? I don't know. You'd have to ask the prosecutors. The Republicans will say the laptop has has tons of proof that there was uh, that Hunter Biden participated in corruption. That there's financial proof that President Biden and Hunter Biden were connected and in, in the gains that were made overseas by by Hunter Biden. Have you ever seen any proof of that? No, I know. I mean, it's again. I've seen people wave various random emails around. I've never seen it. How could you not know if they'll use the laptop as an investigation? How do you do a deal if you think, well, I got proof in emails here that shows you're doing business deals with officials in China? Or as opposed to it's just about gun charges and it's just about you not paying your taxes. Can I just bring this up to if you make $1.5 million in the current tax rate, you should be paying, you're probably better at this, Allison, 45%. Of uh, without any write-offs, if you get one point five million dollars, you should be paying more than a hundred thousand dollars in taxes, right? I mean, that's ten percent. That's not even ten percent. And President Biden is talking about how rich people aren't paying their fair share. You make one point five million for two straight years, and you got to you owe a hundred thousand dollars. What kind of write-off is that? Is there a write-off like that that exists? I mean, not that I know of. I mean, I think people have nailed it. Like. Talk about, you know, the sweetheart dealer. I mean, this is the definition of white privilege, right? When you said, uh, what was it, the attorney for all of the different rappers, right? You guys were talking about on Fox and Friends this morning, how all of them That's what went they're to saying. jail. Yeah, had... They're attorneys. Yes. So it's it's really astonishing. Yeah, I, I mean, and it's just the beginning. And the thing is, I don't want to beat up a guy that's uh, drug addicted. I don't really care about Hunter Biden. I don't care either way. I don't care how many women he gets and how many kids he has and why his dad doesn't acknowledge a granddaughter is beyond me and it's really turned your stomach. Um, you know, you, whatever happens, happens. That kid is related to you. You're 80 years old. Are you interested at all in your granddaughter? When we come back, Senator Marshall Blackburn on that, I almost went too far, but I'm also watching the Dorham report. Uh, John Dorham's now getting questions from Congressman Cohen, who's an embarrassment. Back in a moment. Thanks for making the Brian Kilmeade Show the talker's number three most important talk show in America. Eight, seven, six. How much higher can we go? The sky's the limit. And lift off with Brian Kilmeade. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Do you worry with tomorrow's public hearing in a more kind of politicized committee that what you accomplished today could be jeopardized? Well, I am glad that, that we went first because I think that having Mr. in this environment uh, allowed him to be the very forthcoming and very sharing of, of his thoughts and ideas. Um, certainly that tomorrow will, will has a, a different purpose. Uh, but I, I do think that he was very comfortable uh, at this point with the commitment that our members had on a bipartisan professional basis to deal with his work uh, to, to share with us. And, and by the way, that is the words of uh, Mark Turner, a congressman who's the chairman of oversight. And uh, yes, Mike Turner, I should say. Mike Turner is chairman of oversight. who had a chance to go behind closed doors with John Dorham to expand and uh, bring some color and background to the Dorham report. 
and both sides were praising Durham for the detail, and they both agreed that there was problems with the FBI. They don't agree that there was political bias. That's where the rubber hit the road. And right now we're seeing the back and forth. Durham's doing well. It's very informative. Hank Johnson others are trying to derail him. It's not working. With me right now is Senator Marsha Blackburn. Senator, I know you have your own uh, agenda, but have you been able to watch any of this? I've been able to catch a couple of snippets of it. It is a busy day here on Capitol Hill, and we have a hearing in Judiciary Committee and in Commerce Committee that is going on right now, Brian. But I think the good thing is with Republicans in charge in the House, it gives John Durham the opportunity, and it gives the American people the opportunity to hear from him about the path that he traveled and the information he uncovered that brought to light that this is something that was a figment of Hillary Clinton's imagination, and she was comfortable in turning to the concept of Russia collusion, and uh, then that it was her campaign that paid for this, that hired Fusion GPS, that pushed this forward, that got the media to buy in to this and back her up. And we know uh, of the extensive wrong that was done by her campaign now. It has come to light because of General Durham's work. It's pretty unbelievable. And she only got fined. She got fined, uh, and no one's ever sat down and said, listen, why were you, why'd you pay for the Steele dossier? Why, why was it so necessary in July for you to launch into this Russia narrative with Trump? Was it to get heat off your emails? You know, why would you realize the ramifications right. of that? The John Brennan brief President Obama about your antics. And again, she sits on the sidelines and she mocks Trump for two and a half years, says he's illegitimate. And now she seems to be enjoying the legal troubles the president's in when the precedent was set with her. Do whatever you want with legal documents and you'll get off scot free. She is so uh, she has no self-awareness. And, you know, this goes back to when the Clintons were in the White House, and they started in on developing this two tiers of justice, one that was for them and their friends and the elites, and the other that was for ordinary Americans. And they have been able to manipulate the press, and they've been able to weaponize the government and use it in their favor since their campaign in 1992. So, Brian, I think she was very comfortable with creating this story and then hiring somebody to go do this because she knew nobody was going to do anything to her. She was Hillary Clinton. She had been the first lady, a senator, the secretary of state, and no one was going to slap her hand or call her to account. So she continued to move forward. Yeah, and and she seems to be getting away with it. Um, as we look at this Hunter deal, he pled guilty to federal tax offenses about to be formally charged, but avoid a full prosecution on separate gun charges in a deal with the DOJ. Are you comfortable with this? 
No, I think this is that slap on the wrist that Hunter Biden was hopeful he would get. It is indeed just such a sweetheart deal for him. No jail time. They say, here you did a bad thing, uh, but you paid your taxes. Oh, you lied on this gun form. And other people that have lied on those forms are doing jail time. And now you're beginning to hear from those individuals, their families, their attorneys, and talk about how there are different applications of the law. And people are just incensed. I have heard from so many Tennesseans, Brian, and they look at this. They they look at the Durham report. They look at the Steele dossier. They look at Hunter Biden, the laptop, uh, the, the conduct, the not paying taxes, the lying on a gun form, and they're saying— Hey, wait a minute. Two tiers of justice. Look at what is happening here. When you look at uh, the 2024 campaign, Donald Trump sits down, talks to everybody, uh, even if he gets himself in legal jeopardy. Uh, but And Joe Biden talks to nobody, doesn't have press conference, doesn't have one-on-one interviews, doesn't stop for the press. He, once in a while, he hears a question screamed out, and he'll scream back something inaudible. Uh, your your thoughts about 2024, is, is Trump have sent a Marsha Blackburn's vote? I have already endorsed President Trump. And when I talk to Tennesseans, what they want is to see a strong president. They want a Republican-controlled Senate and House. They hope that next time around that the president is really going to focus on reshaping the federal government and getting some of the deep state out of this bureaucracy because the way Mm -hmm. they are conducting themselves, it does not serve the American people well. Whether it's the DOJ, the IRS, the EPA, OSHA, the USDA, we get complaints. You have a lot to straighten out, Senator. You got to get yourself in the majority and then start taking action. Thanks so much. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. All right, Yuri Levine is the co-founder of Waze. You're probably using it right now if you're in your car. The world's largest driving traffic and navigation app uh, in 2007. Uh, he put it out there. And he's author of a brand new book, Fall in Love with the Problem, Not the Solution. He's the ultimate entrepreneur. Steve Wozniak says that, one of the most successful people in our country. Yuri, great to meet you in person. Thank you. Happy so smart here. of you to see the title on your shirt there. <laughs> um, first off, Waze, 2007. This is the anniversary of Google buying Waze, isn't it? Exactly. So first off, how, where did you get this idea for using satellite technology, not only for GPS, to, but make it even better? So, so for a second, I would say, um, you know, I hate traffic, right? And, uh, <clears throat> and in many cases, when you face a problem, that is going to be the beginning of trying to address that. But it was only in 2006 that I realized that what I really need is someone to be ahead of me on the road and tell me what's going on. And it was only in 2007 when I met the other two co-founders of Waze, Amir and Ehud, and we decided that uh, this is what we're going to build. How did you do it? 
So the magic of Waze is that Waze crowdsource everything, not just traffic information and speed traps, which are really, really important, but the map data itself. So when you drive someplace, then we know that there is a road there, right? If there is, uh, um, you know, an intersection that no one is making left turn, then we can figure out that no left turn is allowed, right? If there is a road that there are 100 people going into one direction and no one else driving that other direction, that will be one-way street, right? But you're, you don't need somebody to hit it in. It's no, picking it's, up. it's picking up most of it automatically. The part that you cannot do automatically, like uh, street names and house numbers and points of interest, um, the community of the drivers actually provided that information through map editing tools that we have built for them. Software. Exactly. Okay. So you start putting this together, but how is that different from, let's say, maps on Google? So back then, maps on Google was just display, right, or search. You cannot do There's the road. Make a right, make a left. Okay. It doesn't say you make a right, make a left. It basically said uh, this is the road, and then you need to figure out the directions yourself. Um, and uh, we were pretty I much I mean Google first. Maps. I'm sorry. Not yeah, yeah. just Maps. Okay. But but all the maps in in that sense, right? Because um, um, navigation was actually really expensive, and we were the first one to offer turn-by-turn navigation free. And the focus of that was on the daily commuters, right, which is very different than everyone else, right? Everyone else. And, you know, if you would ask 100 people that are using Waze, how often do you use Waze, they will tell you every day, right? If you would ask 100 people that are using Google Maps or Here We Go or Apple Maps or whatever, how often do you use that? They will tell you um, when I need it. True. And Waze is because even if I had to get there, I need to know where the traffic is. Exactly. So, in fact, that's what I used uh, last night. If I, I was one way I was going to go, I knew how to go there. I go and put it in Waze. They had me going and you had me going in circles, a place I haven't been there, a very rural section of Long Island, um, Waze technology. So you you start this in 2000, what year? 2007, we started the journey. We raised capital in 2008, and this is where we officially started the company, and we Sold that to Google in June 2013, exactly 10 years ago. And did you have any hesitancy to sell this to a monster like Google, a monster company like Google? You know, Google is acquiring companies in order to keep them, not in order to destroy them, right? So YouTube is an amazing example, right? And they wanted ways to. Because you're competition, right? Um, you were competition to Google Maps. Yeah, yeah. Before that, yes. But but not exactly, right? So people would would tell me, why don't. They merge it, right? And I would say, wait a minute. They have different use cases. And the use case of Waze is that you use that every day, right? The use case of Google is different. And the result is that if you're going to merge them, you might end up as creating a monster that no one likes to use. Right. And they haven't. And they haven't. Right? They haven't. They've, they've kept it. Um, so did you stay on for a while? I actually left the day after so I can build uh, more startups. Um, right. You know, my destiny is is about value creation, and uh, and I will figure out multiple ways to create value. And some of them is through building startups, and some of them is uh, through, um, you know, doing presentations or teaching or my book that is uh, essentially going to help uh, professionals to become more successful. So, what did you learn along the way to make you could have the best idea, but how you execute that idea is everything. How you get the word out. So, what makes you uh, more than just an idea guy to a guy that executes and accomplishes. 
So, <clears throat> you, you know, the, the understanding the journey of building a startup, building something from scratch is really complex. I can describe this journey in three different dimensions, right? The first one is that this is going to be a roller coaster journey with ups and downs and ups and downs. Now, if you'll tell me that all the businesses in the world have ups and downs, I agree. But the frequency of those in building a startup is way higher. I think that I heard the best quote from Ben Horvitz. Ben Horvitz is one of the founders of Andreessen Horvitz uh, Venture Capital Firm. And before that, he used to be a CEO of a startup, and he was asked whether or not he was sleeping well at night as a CEO of a startup. And he said, oh, yeah, I slept like a baby. I woke up every two hours and cried. Right. And that's really the reality. But it's also a journey of failures. And, you know, we're trying to build something new that no one did before. And we think that we know exactly what we are doing. But the reality is that we don't. So we try. We try one thing, and it doesn't work. We try another thing. We keep on trying different things until we find one thing that does work. It's exciting, though, too. People, you want that excitement. It's almost exactly. And once you figure, once you figure out that this is going to be a journey of failures, then there are two immediate conclusions. The first one is that if you're afraid to fail, in reality, you already fail because you're not going to try. Albert Einstein used to say that if you haven't failed, that because you haven't tried new things before. If you're going to try new things, you will fail. The other part is that you need to fail fast because the faster that you fail, you actually still have plenty of time to make another attempt, to build another version, to take another approach. And the more attempts that you have, eventually you're going to increase the likelihood of making it. How do you know an idea that's just not deserving of success when this product isn't unique enough, not good enough, uh, the market's not ready for it, as opposed to I will persevere until it's successful? Sometimes do you have a product or a technology that just isn't, isn't it nearly as revolutionary where the market's not ready for it and you have to know when to stop, know when to say when? Entrepreneurs don't know. They, you know, what makes them successful is eventually is the perseverance. It's the never giving up attitude. So an entrepreneur will never give is up. Is there some time to give up? Some- the, you, There is, but an entrepreneur in general wouldn't. I, For a second, I would say there are two reasons why you should. If the problem disappears, then you should give up. Got you. And if you have a team that is not right and you're unable to change that, then you should quit. How do you identify, uh, how do you go about identifying uh, an area in the market that needs something? For example, you knew that people want to be traffic. That's the goal of everybody since the invention of the car. So you got that. So how do you pick the, the place in society that needs help? And how do you how do you decide what's going to fulfill that? I you know I would say start with a problem. Think of a problem, a big problem, something that's worth solving, something that the world will become a better place if you solve that. And then ask yourself, so who has this problem? Now, if you happen to be the only person on the planet with this problem, you know what? Go to a shrink. Way cheaper and faster than building a startup. Uh-huh. If a lot of people actually have this problem, what you really want to do next is go and speak with those people, and understand their perception of the problem. And only then go and build a solution. Right. If you follow this path and your solution works, it's guaranteed that you're creating value. So, so Waze is a runaway success, and, he, and Google proves that, and today we, you all use it. Can you give me other stuff, uh, examples in your background that have worked out? So, um, you know, and I actually have another major acquisition, which is uh, Move It, which is uh, the Waze for public transportation that was acquired uh, – um, three years ago by Intel for a billion dollars. Which uh, was it? What is it? Move it. Move it is the ways for public transportation. 
um, in answering the same question, how do I get from here to wherever I want to go right now, but using public transportation? Um, I'm building a 10 different startups. Um, many of them are actually trying to address a major problem. If they are going to be able to figure that out, they will be extremely successful. So the problem is always the beginning because the simplest way to create value is solve a problem. To solve a problem, right. Um, how important is mentoring other people, not looking in this competition, but help? Do you mentor a lot of people in your life? <clears throat> you know, I I do because um, for a second I would say I have two very strong personalities. One of them is an entrepreneur. That one everyone knows. The other one is a teacher. So I will feel equally rewarded when I guide someone to build stuff or I build stuff myself. And so I guide and coach my CEOs. I um, wrote the book in order to fulfill my destiny as a teacher and share the know-how right. of building uh, of building startups and building value. You're Levine here. He co-founded Waze. He's the world's largest traffic, traffic navigation app, as everybody knows. Uh, and now he's got a brand-new book out. It's a handbook for entrepreneurs. And uh, the book is called Fall in Love with the Problem, uh, Not yeah. the Solution. Got it. Um, I remember they wrote a book, I, I think it was, I forgot, it was about Israel, called Innovation Nation. And just about how they have, there's so much movement in Israel to innovate and then be and bring these products around the world. How do you how do you fertilize that thought? And do you fear though in America we're getting caught up in regulation and it's it's stifling innovation? So I think that in some places, yes. Right at the end of the day. Um, um, it's the key question is what is it that makes us move forward, right? Because fear is slowing us down, right? And concerns are slowing us down. Opportunity and, and um, you know, enlightenment and, um, is actually moving us forward, right? And so if we follow the vision and we basically take the approach that, first of all, we're going to do stuff and then we'll figure out exactly how do we deal with, uh, with the rest, then we will actually embrace innovation. But, you, you don't you you see excuses in a lot of people's explanation, uh, and course. you cut through it. Exactly. Is, At is the end of the day, look, fear of failure is is stopping us for for making decisions, right? For moving forward. And in many cases, what happens is that you build a startup, you start with a a nothing to lose approach, right? So I'm going to try something. I have nothing, so so everything that is going to end up is is way better than nothing. And you figure out along the journey the product market fit and the and the business model and the growth and so forth, and then you become a corporate. And when you ha- when you are a corporate, you actually have a lot to lose, and you stop innovating because you have that salary, you have that income, and and you don't want to lose it. Um, for a second, I would say it's more from the ego ego management perspective, right? And but, what, what do you mean by that? So look the. If you want to disrupt the market, you need to start with a statement that's saying whatever we are currently doing is wrong. Now, if I'm alone in the room, I have a hard time to tell myself that I'm wrong. Try to do that in a corporate. Right? Just imagine a VP in a management meeting is saying, you know what, everything that we are currently doing is wrong. And, and corporates don't like that, right? And so Never that did. part is, is of the ego, right? The other part is that... Most of the entrepreneurs, they are travel makers. They don't survive in corporate. And so the corporates don't have the right DNA 
um, because of a lot of fear of failures and because we don't have the right personnel to actually go and innovate uh, internally. And they need to figure out a different way to innovate. Understood. When we come back, I want to, Yuri, can I talk to you about uh, AI? Absolutely. And where do you stand? I know uh, Chatbot GBT and some of the limitations there. Uh, Yuri Levine's here, co-founder of Waze. Uh, he's got a brand new book out, uh, Fall in Love with the Problem, Not the Solution, a handbook for entrepreneurs among the people that says this is the Bible for entrepreneurs. Uh, Steve Wozniak, uh, don't move. You listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back, everybody. Got a few more minutes with Yuri Levine, co-founder of Waze, the world's largest driving uh, traffic and navigation app that I know you're using. You probably use it today. Even if you know how to get places, you need to know where the traffic is. I used it last night, uh, obviously. Sold to Google 10 years ago, but now he's got a book out to help you. Fall in love with the problem, not the solution, a handbook for entrepreneurs. Uh, Yuri, uh, I got to ask you to talk about AI. I've never seen so many smart people who are in on the inside of AI concerned about the future of AI. Are you? Um, actually not. I think that uh, it definitely brings more opportunities than threats. And it's very possible that over the years we will need to figure out what is the right thing, what is the right use, uh, and what is the wrong use. And probably have, we have years? People keep saying we don't have years. We have to set up the rules now. Do you, do you think so? Actually, I don't think so. I think that right now, and this is what actually slowing down innovation, as we discussed earlier, right? Right now, we don't need the brakes. We need to move forward to see what the value that is being created by uh, by AI in general, and specifically by the chat or the the language generations uh, uh, capabilities. So you talk, you point out to me that Chat GPT has been around for seven years, not seven minutes. It's seven o- years. Open AI. Is seven years old company, and, and and so far, what do you think? Uh, what do you think of the impact it's had on society? So I think that we are still in an exploration phase, right? Because um, we haven't found the use case that is significant for a lot of people. We have found some use cases that, that are pretty significant for very few people. Those that are in the content space are using ChatGPT or other. Um, GPT engines in order to generate uh, context and text. But uh, um, but uh, massive use case for consumers, we haven't seen yet. And you pointed out to me that if you ask 100 people, do you have you used it? I'm one of them. And I go, yeah. And you say, are you still using it? Most people are saying no. What does that tell you? What it tells me is that uh, um, we haven't figured out product market fit yet for consumers. But if you ask those that will tell you yes, or what is it that you're doing in your job? Do you use that on the personal life or on your business side? It's on the business side. And it's helping to generate, um, you know, you can generate emails, you can generate content, you can generate marketing. You can eventually generate, if you train the system, then you can actually have customer support way better than before because no one is going to wait uh, in line for that. So people are worried about AI actually being more powerful than human beings. Never. Why? Because um, imaginations, because of creativity, because of our brain is so much more powerful than anyone else, than but, anything else. But if you commission this to outthink, to, to be smarter than human beings uh, and to outsmart them or to adapt to the challenges of human beings, in theory, wouldn't that 
trump them and decide, hey, you know what? I think I'll wipe out humanity. It's standing in my way. You know, we have seen um, too much of uh, um, Arnold Schwarzenegger in, <laughs> in, in that movie. So you don't you don't worry about I it. I don't think so. So where do you think where when the internet came aboard, people didn't see the negativity in it, and obviously in social media, there's a huge downside. Do you see? A, do you have a worry with it? I know you're an optimistic by trade, but do you have a worry about it? Look, at the end of the day, um, if you think of many of the leapfrogs that have changed our behaviors. So internet is one of them, right? And internet enable communication and internet enable flow of information, right? And so this is definitely pretty significant. Obviously, when you enable stuff, there will be bad use cases as well, right? Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. And by the way, they are usually the most innovative, right? So you think of fraud and fraud is happening without AI, without the internet. And obviously, if you build the tools that is uh, right. empowering them, that will empower them. And there are rules to rein in fraud, too, so we could use that. Fall in love with the problem, not the solution. The name of the book, pick up the handbook for entrepreneurs. Change your life today. Yuri, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan, heard around the country, around the world. We're following multiple testimonies on Capitol Hill and multiple stories. We're still trying to find that sub. Less than 24 hours, one day of oxygen left. Uh, it was uh, exploring the Titanic, and we have not heard from them. They did hear some banging every 30 minutes, so there's some hope. We'll see what happens, and we got, we'll got we stay on top of that. Also, we have this transgender athlete uh, debate going on. There should be no debate. If you're a guy, uh, you should not be playing women's sports. How about that? I don't care how you feel. Um, and then number two is we'll get at the dorm report. What went into the, uh, the Russia collusion investigation and how it was all a lark and how the FBI – uh, uh, screw this up from A to Z. And when people try to do it right, they were marginalized, fired, or, or put on a different case. So John Durham's testifying right now. And for some bizarre reason, Democrats are giving the balance of their time to Adam Schiff, who's about to have a vote at censure for him for lying and leaking uh, throughout the Trump administration. Bottom of the hour, Martha McCallum will be in. Right now, Josh Rogan's with us now, author of Chaos Under Heaven, Trump, She, and the Battle for the 21st Century. Because, Josh, among the things that is probably the most important story in the country is the beat that you've been on, and that is China. What was your take of what was accomplished with our Secretary of State going over there over the last couple of days? Right. Well, great to be back with you, Brian. I think, you know, what they did was set the bar so low that when uh, Secretary of State Tony Blinken went all the way to China and came back empty-handed, they declared it a success. They're like, see, we told you nothing was going to happen. In fact, nothing happened. Uh, So we were right, and congratulations to everybody. Now, the problem with that is that there's something going on inside the Biden administration on China. It's really important that no one's noticing, and it's really important to understand. And what's going on is that President Biden wants to get back into that room with Xi Jinping who he thinks is his good friend. And the only way that he can do that, the only way he can, he can entice Xi to come to San Francisco in November when he's hosting this big international meeting is by opening up the economic floodgates, by sending over Janet Yellen and Gina Raimondo and John Kerry and all the people who want to sort of take our economic 
competition with China and just ramp it down and get back to business. And they bring in the Wall Street guys and the Chamber of Commerce guys. Let's get rid of the tariffs. You don't want a Cold War. And in order to get to that, they had to do this Blinken trip. That was sort of like the thing that they just had to check off their list to, so that Xi Jinping – because all he really cares about is, is getting his economy back going. Now, set aside that they're arresting businessmen and clamping down and doing all that crazy stuff that they do over there in China to, to harass U.S. businesses. The point is that uh, Xi Jinping invited Blinken over because he had to. He patted on his, him on his head, sent him on his way empty-handed, empty and now the real – you know, uh, engagement starts. And uh, that's all, that's what the Chinese wanted, and that's what the Chinese got. They didn't deserve it. If you look what they did to destroy her with the jets, uh, the storming of our base over in Alaska, the discovery of the Wall Street Journal story of uh, the building now multiple bases in Cuba, uh, and then trying to circumvent us with their, their push for their currency, which you have told me will never uh, likely take root. But right. if you see what happens, we reward the bad behavior by pleading with them in the spy balloon. After the spy balloon, we plead with them for a meeting, which they rejected. And they still right. have not agreed to have a deconfliction line should right. there not be a misinterpretation on some type of military clash. So this right. makes us look terrible, Josh, right? Right. Well, you've hit upon two really important things, again, that most of the media totally misses. One is that, you know, while the Chinese government keeps saying – we want open communication and cooperation and win-win uh, engagement and mutual respect. And they're like, we just want to communicate. And then we're like, okay, well, can you uh, turn on the phone line so that we can call each other in a the crisis? They're like, well, wait a second. You know, we're not quite ready for all that, you know? So it's like, which is it? Do they want to communicate, but they won't, they won't even have a phone line? You know, so, you know, the, the point here is that we have to entertain the possibility that Xi Jinping is lying. That he doesn't really want to be friends with us, that actually their strategy is opposed to us, that their interests are adverse to ours. In other words, that they mean us harm. Okay, let's just keep our minds open to that. And the second thing is that, like, if you're going to have all of this economic engagement, well, then you're necessarily taking the pressure off. And that's what's really happening is that, you know, we have all these, you know, the point of U.S. China relations is not to get along with China because they're going to keep being China. The Chinese Communist Party is not going to stop doing what they do, which is repression and aggression and expansion and political interference and, you know, doing all this dangerous maneuvers. That's just the tip of the iceberg, you know. So they're never going to stop. So are we supposed to just let that all go just because we want to have nice relations? No. Nice relations are the secondary goal of U.S.-China policy. The first goal is to protect ourselves. And if they're making us choose, then we have to choose the protect ourselves. And Right now, they're just playing games with us, and it's uh, it's what they always do, actually. And uh, it's just a shame that the Biden people are falling for it because they know it. They they actually know the trap that they're walking into, uh, but they walk they're walking into it anyway. It's amazing too because you you want you think you're going to rationalize with people. Yeah, we could do that with France when they were upset about nuclear submarine purchases, but we're not right. dealing with that mindset. And they do want to beat us. They don't want to outcompete us. They want to destroy us. The best way they can. There's no other explanation to build, building up a nuclear arsenal, a military arsenal, and trying to get everybody off the dollar, trying to upend us in the Middle East as a power, trying to combine with Russia to stop a Western effort to neutralize an aggressive force in Russia in Europe. What more evidence do you need? And also, what you know, what very few people have written about, is China is not doing well uh, economically. They're not bouncing back. They have a huge unemployment among their youth. 
They are wondering what's happened with their GDP, and it is taking longer. And I hear there's another variant in China. Right. So, you know, the, this this is the, the, the crazy discussion that we have in Washington about, oh, well, if we just have the right mix of uh, really nice business arrangements and really nice diplomacy, then everything's going to be okay. But the truth is that we're dealing with a Chinese Communist Party that uh, is set upon its strategy of building the machine that's pointed at us and changing the rules of the road to make the world safer, repression and autocracy. And then when we get into these situations where we're begging them to talk or paying them to talk, uh, it plays right into their frame that it's all about us. You know, in Washington, we like to think everything's about us. We're very narcissistic. I don't know if you noticed, Washington can be very solipsistic. We always think we're in control of everything. No, we're not in control of China. They're going to do what they're going to do. The good news is that it's not really all about us, and the way that we know that is because there's all these other countries like Japan and South Korea and Australia and India and the Philippines, and they're facing the same problem that we are in Taiwan. And, you know, that's the proof that it's not really, you know, everyone likes, the, the Chinese government wants us to think that uh, we're headed towards a Cold War because in Washington everyone's so hawkish and U.S. politics are pushing us towards being mean to China. But that doesn't explain all of these other countries who are having the same exact reactions. So it must not be all about us. Maybe it's about the Chinese government's you think? character yeah. you know, and their, and their behavior, and maybe that's the real problem. And the key is India, and Modi's visiting today. And the other thing you bring up with India is why are you providing an economic uh, lifeline to Russia? As West moves out, India's moving in. And I understand you can be allies. Uh, you can be allies with Russia for some reason. You thought that was a good counter, and you believe that's a good counter to China. And you have defensive relationships. You have military relationships with Russia. I get it. But they have gone so far to prop up Russia. I would think an ally could be, the largest democracy can be spoken to, and kind of urged to back the hell off uh, because you're hurting. You're getting Ukrainians killed and lengthening this war. But that's just it. We could combine with other neighbors, Australia, Japan, South Korea, India, and let them know. And then in Europe, let them know this is what they're up to. I understand the market's attractive, but they will take your IP. They will raid your buildings. Your people cannot be secure. And their ultimate objective is world domination. I think we should all agree on that. Right. And we all I mean, listen, all of these countries in Asia are different. They're all going to do different stuff. They're all going to look out for themselves. In some respect, we have to meet them where they're at. But when it comes to sort of U.S. leadership in the region, when we pull back from that, everyone sort of starts to fend for their own. And that's why you see them making all these side deals. They're hedging against the United States because they, our reliability, credibility is down. I don't think, by the way, that started uh, in the Biden administration or the Trump administration. I think it started in the Obama administration. But anyway, the point is that uh, when America pulls back, uh, you know, bad actors move into that vacuum and everyone starts to look around and start to make a bunch of deals. We see that in the Middle East. We see that in Europe, et cetera. I mean, Ukraine is the kind of the one example where, you know, you would think that the Biden administration would would go around and twist some arms, you know, but they're not really that good at that. And they don't really like to do that. Yeah, but I when it comes yeah. You know, when it comes to China, listen, the, the, the bottom line is that uh, things are going to get worse. You know what I mean? It, it, Tony Blinken had a nice visit. Fine. That didn't fix anything. This is this is going to get worse before it gets better. And if they attack Taiwan and start a war in Asia, that's that's going to be something that every single one of those countries is going to have to choose a side on. Now, hopefully we won't get there. But the best way to get there, I think, is to prepare. 
And the best way to get there, I think, is to do more to counter China's aggression now, before the attack. That should be the lesson of Ukraine. You don't deal with the dictator after he attacks. You try to deter him before the attack. That's what I think we should do. And it will uh, deliver the $33 billion worth of equipment they ordered and then let the Taiwanese take it serious. So do you think it was wrong for Blinken to come out and say we do not support Taiwan independence? No, I think he's saying the exact thing that he's always said. It's fine. You know what I mean? Uh, if, if that's technically true. And by the way, you know, that's not necessarily the worst message. But what I think is kind of funny is that, you know, you saw today Joe Biden said uh, that she is a dictator and the Chinese went ballistic. Right. <laughs> so they're like, it's not really the diplomatic speak that gets us in trouble. It's when we tell the truth because she is a dictator. And so when Joe Biden you know, gets asked, hey, is he a dictator? He says, yeah, of course he's a dictator. And then the Chinese get really angry, right? So I, I'm not really worried about, like, the diplomatic doublespeak. I'm worried about the fact that gotcha. China's trying to tell us not to tell the truth about China, which I is just, that it's a dictatorship. Right. I just worry about people misinterpreting. Uh, you remember uh, the Iraq, Saddam Hussein thought it was okay to invade. They didn't think we'd have a problem when they invaded Kuwait because of some diplomatic speak. And then right. there were, you know, if they have an indication that they we're not going to mind if they take Taiwan, that's an issue. The other thing is the president spoke, and I'll just paraphrase it. He said that President Xi is embarrassed, did not know that balloon was crossing, and was embarrassed that it was shot out of the sky. And then so-called unnamed intel experts said they were shocked that President Biden would spout out to randomly uh, with the intelligence, with the American intelligence revealed. And I'm just wondering... If Trump was to do that, you'd go, oh, my goodness, how the hell could he be uh, president of the United States and just spout out intelligence operations to the world to see? But for uh, President Biden, they're like, okay, that's a bit of a surprise. Right. But, you know, what's interesting about that detail is that that's an authorized leak. In other words, they want us to think that she didn't know about the balloon because that makes it okay for them to, like, forgive him for it. But it's not plausible. It's not a real intelligence leak. It's a cover leak. In other words, it's not true. Interesting. Because Got and it. the way that we know that is because when the balloon, after it was in the news for three days, when everyone was talking about it, when Blinken had canceled his trip, even after that, it hovered over our sensitive sites, and and it wouldn't do that unless you know it was directed to do that. And sure, maybe he didn't know on day one, but on day seven, everybody knew. You knew, I knew. People were looking at it in the sky. And it was still doing shady stuff on day seven. So if Biden thought about it for two minutes, he would realize that maybe she didn't know on day one. But he knew on day seven, so he definitely knew. So he's just trying to give him cover to make nice. And a, so that's not really an intelligence leak. That's like kind of like a, a spin cycle masking as an intelligence leak, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I want you to hear what Michael Walt said about the Cuba setting up this military relationship uh, with China and possibly having a military presence there. Uh, here's what uh, here's what he said. Cut 40. This is a seminal historic moment. We are on the verge of having Chinese Communist Party troops in the Caribbean, 100 miles from the southern coast of Florida. I mean, I, yeah, it's like taking me back to the 1980s, the movie Red Dawn, where you had uh, Soviets and Cubans and, you know, invading the United States. They're taking a play right out the Soviet playbook. But, Laura, this is a world right now where our enemies, our adversaries do not fear any consequences. They harass our planes, harass our ships, break into our bases, uh, spy on our nuclear facilities uh, with a sophisticated balloon, not a silly balloon, and now put troops in our back door uh, and they get rewarded with a meeting. Your thoughts about his thoughts? 
Right. Well, the two funny things about the Cuba Bay story was that they they denied it, and then when then they switched, and they were like, "Oh, well, it's not a spy base; it's a base where they can spy from." <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, that's what that's the me- the verbal gymnastics that they're putting themselves through these days, not to offend the delicate sensibilities of a genocidal dictatorship. Okay, and that's the trap. That's what we're dealing with now. You can't call you a dictator. You can't call a spy base a spy base because Beijing's going to get angry, and then they're not going to get the high level dialogue that they want that's a crazy situation to keep we have to tell the truth okay our government has to tell the truth journalists have to tell everyone has to just start telling the truth wouldn't that be refreshing it would you know and and as for what mike waltz said listen you know history doesn't repeat itself but it certainly rhymes man i mean you know it's sort of like oh we don't want a cold war yeah you know to paraphrase churchill we may not be interested in a cold war but a cold war may be interested in us josh rogan author of chaos under uh under heaven Trump, she, and the battle for the 21st century. I think we need an update, a new excerpt in your paperback. Josh, thanks so much. Anytime. Uh, Readers column in the Washington Post. Back in a moment. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. You have a good reputation. You had a good reputation. That's why the two Democrats supported you. But the longer you hold on to Mr. Barr and this report that Mr. Barr gave you as special counsel, your reputation will be damaged. As everybody's reputation who gets involved with Donald Trump is damaged, he's damaged goods. There's no good dealing with him because you will end up on the bottom of a pyre. I yield back the balance of my time. Sure. Can we uh, presume the gentleman's undecided on on how he feels about the former president? Gentlemen, witness can respond. Yeah, my uh, concern about my reputation is with uh, the people who I respect, and my family, and my Lord. And I'm perfectly comfortable with my reputation with them, sir. Well said. God bless you. Um, the, um... So that was Congressman Cohen to uh, decide to end his comments like that. Martha McCallum's here. And we're trying to do the same thing. You were just on television. You were trying to watch at the same time. Yeah. We have another Riley Gaines talking about transgender There's athletes. There's a lot going on. Very interesting. And then the Durham report's still happening. Three yes. and a half hours. He's gone almost two hours straight without a break. Yeah. You know, uh, it, it it's kind of disheartening to watch this Durham process because there's so much grandstanding in these moments. And I think as an American, I watch it and I just wish that we could bring this individual in and find out what he learned from his report. But it's full of opportunities to uh, basically try to tear down his character. I I love the Democrats going after him on how much it cost. (laughs) 6.5 million. I mean, yeah. I guess everybody does that. You know, I mean, we talked a lot about the Miller investigation and how much it costs, but I'm always just a little baffled and slightly amused, frankly, when people who are so adept at spending trillions of dollars suddenly get a little bit bent out of shape when someone spends six million to investigate whether or not there was a unfounded, really destructive investigation into an active president of the United States um, that that just sucked all the oxygen out of the room at a time when we really had some very important things to deal with in the world. Evidently, behind closed doors, everything was very direct and very incisive. Both sides came out and said, this was pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. Uh, But they say expected to be different today, and it is. Eric Swalwell is trying to rehabilitate Adam Schiff in front of us. They keep on giving more time to that liar.
radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Well, I think the indictment of President Trump, which is a grave, significant act, uh, really demands that uh, the department assure everybody uh, that the investigations into the Bidens uh, was thorough and that uh, the final decisions reached were reasonable. And uh, I agree with Jonathan Turley. Uh, it's not looking that good. This demands a thorough accounting. I think the public interest demands uh, that they assure people uh, of the integrity of this investigation and the fairness of the final decision. And they have a good opportunity to do that with uh, Chairman Comer's committee. We know that is uh, former uh, Attorney General William Barr talking with Martha McCallum yesterday about what we learned about the Hunter Biden deal. The plea will be to federal tax offenses and avoid a full prosecution on a separate gun charge on a deal with the DOJ. They will likely spare him any time behind bars. So he's got the gun charge. He's got to pay his taxes. For some reason, he makes $1.5 million. They only want 100000 in taxes, which I'd love that Pretty deal. Pretty good deal. Yeah. yeah. How about how about 500000 I mean, at that tax level, you get 45 to 50 percent. Are you kidding me? I don't. Yeah, that's a pretty sweet deal. And then we would have nothing about the international stuff. uh, What do they call it? Racketeering, money laundering, a FARA violation, wire fraud. Does anyone that that they got Steve Wynn on, Paul Manafort on? So I I don't know the answer. They say the investigation is not closed, Martha. I'm wondering, do we know the answer? Are they looking at these other things? You know, and they owe us an answer to that question. They owe the country because their reputation is so beat up and tarnished right now. The fact that they have this kind of cavalier, I would say, attitude about what they do and do not need to share or bring people in on. Now, I understand you're doing an investigation and you have to keep some things close to the vest. But I don't think I think if we were to hear from the Department of Justice you know, it, it, just in terms of the parameters, you know, we've this is the first situation that we've dealt with these two tax violations and the gun violation. However, the investigation into the ties to these companies, while his father was the vice president of the United States, is ongoing. Remember this. I know you remember this, but Tony Babalinski structured the deal with the Chinese electric company that is overseen C-E-F-C. by the Chinese government. He structured that deal. And he said, he's grouped into that email, he said 10% for the big guy was for Joe Biden. And he structured the deal. He said he's the big guy. He gave, I'll never forget the day that Tony Bobulinski went in there with his phones and his laptop and his to the FBI. Here you go, turning it all over to you. By all intents and purposes, it sat on a shelf somewhere. They never called him in for an interview. Never called him in to discuss any of it. How, how is that possible? How is that possible? Same way they held on to the laptop for a year. No, it, it is so, it, you know, they should be bending over backwards to make it very clear to the American people. Because when you have a 49% number of people who think these investigations are political, you've got a problem in this country. They should be bending over backwards to make, to demonstrate that they are pursuing every lead in this story and that nobody gets off the hook because you can't come out and tell us like Jack Smith did the other day that everyone is equal under the eyes of a law and then not even interview Tony Bobolinsky at the FBI please please explain to me how that is even possible well that's why so many people are whistleblowers and they got retribution back at them and we have another people who go in and 
transcribe their their discontent and they're marginalized and were told their 1023s, which is what they dictated to the FBI agent, don't exist when they finally do exist. They're so redacted. James Comer said 50 percent of it was it was a total waste of time. Fifty percent of the of the 1023 was redacted. But I want to uh, bring you back to the international portion of this. Why does Weiss not feel compelled to say this is the deal, but only for domestic issues? The international business deals are still being saying. unwound. No, that's what I'm that saying. They're, they're, they to. would not disclose anything about the actual investigation. All they said was it's ongoing. Well, can you please explain what parts of this investigation are done and what parts are continuing? And, and you know, and David Weiss is a Trump-appointed um, Delaware judiciary. So, I mean, you know— it's hard to believe that if the shoe were on the other foot here, if this was a Trump investigation, we've seen how those work. They're incredibly expeditious. They happen very quickly and they're extraordinarily thorough, right? Um, why can't they disclose just certain parameters, the scope of the investigation, what they're still looking into? It makes absolutely no sense. And, and think about this just one more time in terms of Tony Bobulinski. Let's just assume that they thought he wasn't a credible witness. You're not going to even talk to him? Right. How do you know he's not credible if you never interviewed him? If they brought him in there for 10 hours and they went through the whole laptop and all of his cell phones and they said, okay, look, this is not a credible witness. Okay. They didn't even talk to him. So, it, you know, it's it just there's no other way to read it than that they don't want to know. They don't want to know. I think the, the that poll that came out by CNN that said that most people believe that he should be prosecuted, Donald Trump, but 70%, 70% believe it was politically motivated. <laughs> oh, that's one of my favorite polls yeah, recently. It's like, yeah, go get him for sure. And you know, nail him to the wall, and we don't care if politics are involved. That's what those polls yeah. say. It's it's a very scary situation. So here's the exchange on MSNBC to your ver to the question we're discussing right now with Hunter Biden's attorney, who believes this whole thing is now closed. Cut six. Do you have any idea if um, Hunter Biden's laptop had anything to do with this investigation? Was it used? I don't. No, I don't. I mean, Were you I, ever asked about it? Um, I can't recall being asked about it, to be honest with you. Um, but there's nothing about the the situation that's being that's been filed that has a thing to do with the laptop. Why not? I don't know. You'd have to ask the prosecutors. The Republicans will say the laptop has has tons of proof that there was uh, that Hunter Biden participated in corruption, that there's financial proof that President Biden and Hunter Biden were connected and in the gains that were made overseas by by Hunter Biden. Have you ever seen any proof of that? No, I know. I mean, it's again, I've seen people wave various random emails around. I've never seen it. I don't know. If the I think it's closed, but the international portion of this, no one's ever asked me about it, or I don't recall. Yeah. Is that is that lawyer ease for it could have happened? So you know, this is the situation. So either it took them over five years because they dug into all the issues that she just brought up, that they dug into the connections to these companies. You know, it may be that they're not illegal connections, but are you know. And just unethical involvements. We know the Obama administration was concerned about these these business ties that Hunter Biden had. And they decided not to intervene because Bo Biden had died recently and they didn't want to ruffle feathers with the, with the Biden folks. But 
we did not then why not say on the part of this prosecution we exhausted everything in that laptop we looked at all of it and in the end after five and a half years the only thing that we found that we felt comfortable prosecuting in a court of law because we had the evidence to support it were these two tax charges and the gun thing we went through Mm -hmm. everything and there's nothing there say that if that's the case martha that this is neutralized in any just world the president talking about guns and has neutralized the president vilifying people who don't pay taxes because we see the lowest rate possible for anybody who makes 1.5 million. He was just negligent and not paying million. it back, right? Yeah, and then negligent. We don't. We also know five million here, ten million here. Where is this money? And the other thing that I find anti-American to the nth degree when you do this deal for 5.4 million dollars with CEFC, which is an arm of the Chinese government, you do a deal in the Congo for lithium. Knowing they're using child labor and lithium is a rare earth component of the batteries you're making all of us buy in this country while shelving the combustion engine. So now you helped make the Belt and Road program go right through the Congo and you financed it, the former vice president's son and the future president, knowing he's running for office. I mean, that to me is unbelievable to wrap your head around. You know, it reeks of and we see this a lot with especially with politicians who have never had a a job outside of politics. Right. I mean, Biden went in, uh, you know, was a congressman at the age of, I think, 28 or 29. Right. He's never worked in the private sector ever. Although he's claimed he drives a tractor and drove a bus and drove a truck. Okay, okay, Maybe, you know, some summer jobs. We have not found any evidence of that. He was a lifeguard. I. He he never, as an adult, worked in the private sector sure. and was fully employed, receiving a salary from any company or running any business or anything. What we see is when when this when that time period ends in certain politicians' lives, they get a very big hunger to make money, right? And I get it. I've served, you know, all these years. Uh, now I want to make money. But the places that they chose to make that money are exactly what you just mentioned, right? Let's get it from China. Let's get it from lithium mining, which as you rightly point out is, is what, I mean, if you care about human rights, you better look into what's going on with how they are getting children. 60 minutes cover this. Oh, absolutely. To, to go in there and mine what it takes to put together your smartphone. And you, you know, you better think about it in terms of whether or not you're going to get involved in any business opportunity there. So it is, it is, it, it's appalling to be to, to overlook this and to not at least tell us, please just tell me that you exhausted every single part of this story and this investigation. And then you determine that there was absolutely, you know, look, although it might look bad, there's nothing illegal here. Tell me that. So congratulations uh, to the surprise of no one. You and Brett are going to be uh, co-anchoring this debate uh, coming up August 24th. August 23rd. Uh, August 20th. I'm going to go the 24th. If you don't mind. <laughs> uh, 23rd. Uh, last night. Um, Milwaukee. In Milwaukee. And who's, who picked the city? Well, we didn't pick the city. Um, the RNC picked the city. It's also where the Republican National Convention is going to be held. So there's a lot of focus on Wisconsin on the Republican side of the fence. It would be uh, great to have other opportunities to do Democrat debates as well, which we would love to do. Two qu- well, you're going to have one big question to ask yourself and your family. Uh, are you going to choose Milwaukee's best or old Milwaukee when it comes to a round belly beer? <laughs> Right. I mean, did you have it? You don't have to answer now. Okay, I'll think about that. But here's Donald Trump asking, being asked a question by your own Brett Baer about whether he's going to debate or not. Cut 24. 
I like to debate. I mean, I probably am here because of debates. I don't mind it at all. But when you're 40 points up and you're running against, and even one came out today that you saw 51 points up, why would I let Ada Hutchinson, I call him Ada because, you know, his name's Asa, but I call him Ada for whatever reason. I think he's ineffective. But why would I let him, uh, Chris Christie, who's got nothing going except I could be tougher on Trump. He's not tougher on anybody's slob. But why would I let these people take shots at me? In other words, hey, Ronald Reagan had primaries. They all had primaries. Um, I had one last time. Uh, and Biden, he's got somebody at 21 percent. I just saw a number, 21 percent, JFK Robert, Jr., who's Robert a very Kennedy. nice person. Yeah, JFK Jr. JFK Jr. Robert, yeah. Robert, yeah. Uh-oh, no, yeah. No, yeah. it would definitely be RFK Jr. Um, so, so you would you be disappointed? Uh, you know, I mean, of course, we would love to see the former president on the stage. And I agree with the first thing that he said there. He likes to debate. And he also doesn't like to not be in the conversation. Uh, there's going to be a ton of coverage. There's going to be a lot of people taking shots at him on that stage, I would imagine. Um, and it's easier for them if he's not there. He was masterful the last time around at just minimizing and basically flicking like fleas uh, one by one people out of that, that out of that race. Yeah, the opposition research. He had it on everybody. Absolutely. So, you know, I, I think he enjoys engaging. I think of him getting off of Marine One and, you know, just wandering over to reporters and taking every single question thrown at him. I give him a lot of credit for sitting down for an hour with Brett. We have requests in as well. We'd like to sit down with him. Um, obviously he's the lead candidate by a mile on the Republican side. So yeah, I, I hope he changes his mind. I hope he comes. I think it'd be fascinating. You know, it's interesting with Brett and we take a break. So we have some time on the other side. And of course, Martha's show getting said to get started at three o'clock, a lot to choose from, uh, about, and a lot to cover just in an hour. Try to get you another hour at Martha. I, I'm, I'm calling a few people working on that. Yes. Uh, but for him to sit down with Brett, for an hour plus, he easily could have got past the documents because the magistrate judge said uh, Jack Smith's request to not talk about the contents of the documents. And we've known politicians. Yeah, I'd like to. I just can't right now. Ongoing investigation. Or, you know, I got the words from the judge. I'm at the point where my lawyers really don't want me to do that. But instead, every question, including spelling out his defense, that's Trump. Do you agree that he could have actually got away with really not talking that much about Absolutely. the documents? Absolutely. And, and Brett said he was prepared for his answer to be, "No, I can't talk about that. Yeah. But I, I think that this is exactly what you expect from the former president. He likes to defend himself. He wants to speak out and explain to the American people when he has this golden opportunity sitting down with Brett. Um his interpretation of what happened and, you know, I mean, whether or not it crossed the line with what uh, what he was told by Jack Smith, that that's between them. But I, I think he always wants to defend himself. He, you know, always punch back that that's the Trump way. And, uh, you know, I think he, he had an opportunity. You don't want to miss it. He didn't. Uh, back in a moment with Martha McCown. Thanks for making the Brian Kilmeade Show the talker's number three most important talk show in America. Eight, seven, six. How much higher can we go? The sky's the limit. And lift off with Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Jeff understands that the job of Attorney General is to serve and protect 
And that is exactly what he will do. Jeff Sessions was a disaster as attorney general. We hope Bill Barr is going to be as good as we think because Bill is a good, he's a great gentleman. And by the way, when Bill Barr, who's, you know, a coward. In his new role as chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Milley will serve as my top military advisor. Milley, frankly, was incompetent. John Kelly will do a fantastic job. I know John Kelly. He was with me, didn't do a good job, had no temperament. I am confident that Jay has the wisdom and leadership to guide our economy. I was not a big fan of Powell. I was rec- he was recommended by some people. I didn't like him. So funny. Uh, just putting together how you start and how you finish. Martha McCallum here. Uh, he d- Everyone has some turnover. <laughs> but that, it's a lot. Um, it, it's a lot of turnover. I thought that was an interesting moment in the interview as well when, when Brett went through you know all of the things that he said about, about these folks. Look, by every estimation, he's a he's a tough guy to work for. And uh, I think that the span of um, burnout happens a lot more quickly in that environment. And um, yeah, Um, who's on your show today? So obviously we're following the latest in this uh, submersive story. It's a it's a terrifying heard some knocks last night. They, They heard some noises. They said they might be coming from the vessel. They might not. Um, there's a vehicle that is getting close uh, to areas where they think they're hearing these noises. So we're obviously going to stay uh, very closely on top of that. Also, the testimony that you talked about, Durham on the Hill, also Riley Gaines on the Hill. We're going to talk to John Kennedy, uh, Senator John Kennedy from Louisiana as well. We're also going to talk about this speech that RFK Jr. gave last night in New Hampshire uh, about his vision for peace and de-escalation in the foreign policy world. And he's, he's you know, telling Joe Rogan that he wants to be a candidate for the independent uh, voter, that he wants to bring together a populist movement of Republicans and Democrats. I'm going to talk to Ronna McDaniel about how she sees that and a possible third-party candidate. No labels. Uh, they're talking about Joe Manchin. Yeah. And that was a big story today, Joe Manchin. Don't run for president. He goes, he just nods. Yeah. Maybe We'll see, because he's going to have a tough time keeping that Senate seat. Jim Justice, very popular. Very tough, absolutely. All right, Martha, you're very tough. You're very tough, too, Brian. Thank you. Regardless of what they say. Uh, really? Who's saying that? My <laughs> staff? My staff? This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.